how does like a bunch of dudes like because this looked like a very like kind of serious men's film. rights activists <laughs> yeah well i mean well yeah pretty much um, yeah. who can pepe like gaston <laughs> but in general, I will say I, I was I was Who can ex- vote like Gaston. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Too true, my friend. <laughs> this is for the most part unanimously thought of as a as a good film. According to Donald Trump, we already had a sci fi film win, which was Twelve Years a Slave. Uh, <laughs> See, this is why we invite Nick back every week. That is why you give me alcohol. this. Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we're discussing the new science fiction film from director Denis Villeneuve, which is Arrival, starring Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hey there, everybody, and welcome into episode 89 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, along with the usuals of Toussaint Egan and Nick Cheney. Hey, everybody, we got so much to talk about. Yeah. Do we, though? Yeah. All right. Nick Cheney also here. Hi. <laughs> Boy, that was... Uh... Excited to be here, you guys. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Seriously, you're the kid in the grocery cart who's just saying hi to everybody. Hi. <laughs> Nick, stop doing that. My mom won't let me have Lucky Charms. <laughs> Dad says yes. <laughs> I don't know if that's no, no. That is creepy. That is what that is. That's great. Hi. So uh, today we are talking about the new, new-ish science fiction film *Arrival*, uh, directed by Denis Villeneuve and starring Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner, and Forrest Whitaker, who was doing some kind of weird accent. So I'm not quite sure what that was. Uh, we'll talk about that more in just a little bit. First off, uh, we haven't done a weekend review in quite a while, so Whoa. I think we should do one. All right. I think so. So, um, I guess I'll start? I was going to say I forgot we were doing that, so I need to look up. <laughs> so, uh, the two films I want to talk about is a film, the first one, uh, I don't think we ever mentioned, because I think it was right before we started doing uh, Film Tank, uh, and that was a film from late two thousand. 14 that won an Oscar for Julianne Moore, and that is still Alice. Oh, we mentioned that. We did. Because you... Okay. I mean, I don't want to be a... Prickly pear. But... (laughs) Prickly pear. Continue. No, when did we mention? I'm trying to... You brought it up during a weekend review one time. Okay. I already did? (laughs) Once? That's why I thought you might want to know. Really? Yep. No way. I did still Alice? I brought that up during a weekend review once? We'll check back on the tapes. Either you did or I did, but I... Thought you did okay. because because I had seen it before we started film tech, I want to say, and so did I. Oh, you did. Well, so that's why I'm confused. Oh, I thought you had watched it when it came out of video. No, I saw uh, it in the theater, 2014. Well, 
I know we. Anyways, I don't. Care. I don't have that much to say about Please it. Continue. So if if this is being repetitive, I'm sorry. Uh, I think it's you a, forgot. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I think it's a fantastic film. Uh, Might want to get that diagnosed. What? That you forgot. Oh, I thought that you, that I no, thought no, it was a no, fantastic film. Anyway, I think it's a fantastic film. I think uh, for people who have either family members or know someone who has has had Alzheimer's or has now currently has Alzheimer's or some sort of uh, disease that ha- that causes uh, loved ones to lose memories or, or that kind of thing. It's a very powerful film, even though there are some parts of it that are not great when it comes to filmmaking. I think at the end of the day, uh, if you have are able to have um, relation to Alice's character and specifically her family members, uh, it is a uh, a quite good film. So, Even outside of the Alzheimer's uh, context, there's still a very poignant, I would say, uh, parent-child uh, relationship that's being explored that I think a lot of people can relate to. Uh, Outside of even the very literal thing that's happening. Especially the difference between uh, the oldest and the youngest child who have yep. clearly different ways they handle their relationship, yep. I would which say, are played by Kate Bosworth and Kristen Stewart. I would say that me and my mom went and saw this, and my mom does not have Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. God bless her heart. Yeah. Uh, and yet we walked out of it thinking that in a lot of ways, like the relationship between uh, Julianne Moore's character and Kristen Stewart mirrored the way that me and my mom interact versus the way my brother and my mom interact. So yeah, it's, it's very, it's very relatable on a lot of different levels. Yeah. And uh, very interesting thoughts that everyone would, I think would have a different opinion on uh, the relationship between Julianne Moore's character of Alice and her husband played by Alec Baldwin, who easily uh, someone could, correctly or not correctly depending on what your view of it think that he's doing the right thing and thinking about his career and uh the future of their family and his life aspirations and on the other end thinking that he's a complete sleazeball who's just leaving her for dead pretty much yep so it, it's a it brings up an interesting debate and doesn't necessarily mean that there's a right or wrong answer but Definitely quite different views on either side of, of how you feel about him as a character. So it's a good film overall. Even if you don't necessarily love it, I think you would at least uh, find it interesting for the two hours you sit down and watch it. Yeah. Uh, the other film I want to talk about, uh, not necessarily whether it being good or bad, but just because I kind of got forced into going to see this, was uh, the movie Trolls. <gasps> oh. You saw that without me. I know, because I hate you. How was it? <laughs> It was fine. It was, uh, you know, it was, it was honestly a pretty standard children's film. Uh, it seemed like it wasn't well, as bad as just the idea of a trolls movie I, seems to be, right? I think so. Yeah, okay. I think there were some cool little quirky things that they decided to do with the film that were were pretty interesting. I think they hit on all the major emotions that people try to hit on usually in children's films. And I think they did an okay job. And it's Aroused, seemed... melancholy, um, despondent. Sure. Anyways, uh, it seemed like most of the uh, the children in the uh, in the theater were responding well to the film. So I That's take good. it that they they at least enjoyed it, which is this is what it was made for. So um, yeah. That being said, uh, there were some interesting parts. I thought, uh, especially the part where they literally burn. The antagonist to death. So that was something. Um, (laughs) 
So was this like a Wicker Man sort of situation, or was it no. like Jesus Christ? No, <laughs> like they, Jesus Christ, Danielle. Yeah, they I fucking love that movie. They roll the the main antagonist off like away from the land where everyone has come together and mm-hmm. is celebrating. And before they send her off, they light her on fire and push her away. So that's something. Oh, and she's a woman. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's something. It could have been worse. Yeah, it, it could have been the scene from Hateful Eight where they decided to hang the fucking troll doll. Justice. Yeah. So it was. Yeah, it was. It was fine. It was. Give it a fine out of five. Yeah, it's for uh, parents going to take their kids. I don't think they'll be as miserable as you could be getting dragged to some other terrible DreamWorks. Uh, animated film because for the most part they are very much either oh it's okay or oh this was horrible don't have another necessarily have another <laughs> norm of the north on our hands here where it's like oh but yeah so I can't, yeah, I can't wait for Woody Allen to make another animated film what like ants yeah I don't think did he ma- I don't think he made that he just no. was a voice yeah. of a character yeah. I just so. wanted to be in another oh, one. Oh, I see yeah. oh, okay well, you need another neurotic Jewish ant in your life. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> and thank you. Thanks to our amazing English language. I'm talking about the bug, not right. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say uh, somebody, a lot of people, maybe listeners are going to ex- see a lot of those at Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's what thinking. So anyways, that's all I've got. And uh, who wants to take the baton and go next? I can go. Okay. Uh, one thing I finally caught up on was a, a movie called My Winnipeg uh, by director Guy Madden. And it is one of those movies that dares to, uh, shall we say, stretch the definition of documentary. It's um, it's essentially this extremely personal video essay on the city of Winnipeg, uh, which is where Guy Madden himself is from. But what ends up happening is like the movie is told uh, almost exclusively through recreation footage with hired actors, and um, it weaves personal anecdotes um city folklore and just weird fantastical detours and it's uh, it's almost never really made clear what's true and what's not but it ends up painting a picture of a city more vividly than a straightforward documentary would and um i i absolutely loved it it's a uh, shot in black and white it's uh and it's only from like 2007 so it's it's funny because it's it's a throwback clearly guy madden himself is uh is besides being an auteur uh but a lover of late silent early sound footage uh early sound films i mean um because the way his editing his uh, pacing all that is is basically edited as such because it's very abrupt cuts and not jump cuts but just this kind of like imperfect way of moving from scene to scene and um i believe he's the narrator of the movie which is crucial because the narrator essentially tells the entire story like there's not that much in film dialogue itself uh and now is um, <clears throat> just because kind of picking up on yeah. what you're describing about how the film goes throughout and saying there's not much. Now is the narrator of the film who you said that you think is the director? I'm, I'm 99% sure he is. Do you think that that pushes 
a viewer in one way or the other based on what they're watching, based on his narration, or... Absolutely, because of the fact that he is the narrator, but he there is also a stand-in for his character, in the okay. sense that um, what's, what's interesting is the film itself has this structure that is reminiscent of a Twilight Zone episode called The Stop at Willoughby, where a man is, like, stuck on an endless train going to this town called Willoughby, but never actually getting off, uh, whatnot. And, and then he also puts a toaster in the bathtub and wakes up and finds himself back in the train. Yes, you've seen this. <laughs> um, so so what ends up happening is this man, presumably Guy Madden, it's basically he keeps saying, like, I don't know if he ever says his name, but he says he's a film student and he, you know, it's like all these stuff that are clearly drawn from actual, because he is from Winnipeg. And okay. Um, and so he's like stuck on this train trying to get back to Winnipeg as he reminisces about all the things that he either loves or hates about Winnipeg's. And this ranges from extremely uh, vivid, shall we say, uh, details about the local hockey rink that burned down or the um, the the segregated pool hall that's uh, not pool hall, but pool uh, place, not like a pool pool, but not billiards, but swimming pool. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, where Again, there's English. Thank yes. You. Yes. yes. Funny. Uh, what do you think? What do you mean I'm funny? <laughs> <laughs> and not segregated by race but like it was like um there were three pools on each uh one on each floor and like the basement was for the men the second floor was for women and then the uh the the main floor was for like families or something like that you know like a ymca type thing but it's just all these really random details that like if, if guy madden himself was going to just like randomly tell you these stories it probably wouldn't like land so to speak with an impact but the way he juxtaposes uh his kind of droll narration with these extremely i think uh beautiful images uh it's very artistic as far as how he films all this uh it it is like a and it's only 80 minutes so it's not like you're like you're in for like a very long and boring whatever it's 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 surreal like david lynch uh it, it's it's just unlike anything i've ever so seen even though this is te- is it more of a documentary as in he's telling this truish story but it does follow a narrative or is it something like like Kate plays Christine, or like that that the, yeah. that taxi film that you had talked about. Yeah, um, like a Jafar Panahi's Taxi. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a documentary in the sense that you'll definitely leave it wondering what's true and what's not, but that won't be the purpose of the movie. Like, if 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 it was a movie, like yeah, if you set out to make a movie about. I don't know the the housing market crash or something like that, and you leave and like that's your sole purpose, like and you leave that movie wondering, well, wait, was that true? Like, what they like? Then that that's fail. If it's a documentary, that that's failed because that it's supposed to be an informative movie about whatever. He's more trying to wrap the audience in his own mindset of how he recalls his own hometown and how, you know, whether, even if it is a, a legend, it's kind of like around here, we have something called Munger Road. And yeah. that's a thing that is so, in, uh, I would say, embroidered in, into this area's culture, even if it's bullshit. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I've never actually went out there. but I've, I've went out there. Okay. It was a road. Yeah. Um, but that's a thing that, that like, that. If yeah, we were no, doing there a, was a, there was a bad movie there, that was there made was about a, it. Yeah. Hey, Roger Ebert liked it. He gave it three out of four stars. Well, he gave, every, he gave every he, could, he gave except for Kick Ass. Yeah. He gave everything three True. out of four and stars. Blue Velvet, but post stroke. Um, what? Uh, what? I was going to say, and Blue Velvet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, anyway, um, 
but th- but that's the kind of thing is that all of these things get wrapped up. Like what's fact, what's fiction? Because all of these truly do make up the area that we're living in. And and uh, maybe as someone who lives in the Midwest, I really related to some of the images because it looked like uh, you know downtown Chicago, like barren, like more of like I would say the uh, not. In- shall we say thriving part of Chicago but like just the cold winter nights and whatnot and just seeing the street lights and whatnot um it, it was just a movie that I instantly responded to and uh certainly the the running time is perfect like it's not so much that I would want to see so much more of it but it absolutely went the full uh whatever 10 yards nine yards I don't know nine. I asked Bruce Willis um and <laughs> <laughs> actually uh getting me to kind of like just fall in love with the other imperfectness of a city and what that can mean to an individual as their hometown. Now, is this a film that's like, is this a film that's on Netflix or is this a Criterion? It was a Criterion movie. Ah. Yeah, it was only added. uh, I've always known about it, but it was only added about last year. Okay. Uh, but uh, if anybody can watch it, I know Filmstruck has just launched. I was going to say, we haven't even hit on that. That's that's some, I, I don't, can you actually, since you probably do know way more than the average person would, can you fill myself, Tucson, and our listeners in a little more on what exactly that service is so going to be, yeah. at least to start with? Filmstruck is a unique uh, streaming service in which TCM, Turner Classic Movies, mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of their thing, so to speak. It's not necessarily Criterion's thing, but Turner Classic Movies had put it, is putting out Filmstruck. So for a base plan, you can subscribe for like 7 bucks or something like that a month. To start uh, with. Yeah, to start with, and um, and get access to a lot of great classic movies, and not like be limited to Netflix's idea of classic movies. Which I and I like Netflix, but that that whole entire area used to be at least decent, but is no longer. Uh, re- yeah, it's just ridiculous. Netflix doesn't give a shit anymore because they pour all their money into original content. And that's what they want to the service to be populated by yep. Uh, predominantly. Yep, and for a higher tier. Uh, so if you, I don't know the exact price, but roughly 10 or something like that a month. And you can do annual plans that does shave off money if you know you're going to actually watch it and whatnot. Um, for a higher tier, you can get the what they call Filmstruck plus the Criterion channel. And that is essentially, like, I'm not going to say it's the entire Criterion collection, but it's it's up there. It's got to it be have over Arm- 90- Armageddon? That's a good question. <laughs> um, I haven't looked into that. Is Arm- Armageddon's one of the ones that's out of print, isn't it? No, no, it's. Not. I don't think okay. so. Like, I don't know if it is sold anywhere, but <laughs> uh, but if you go to Criterion.com, I'm pretty sure it's still in print. Because, okay, um, it doesn't really have much competition now. That it's because considering it's just the DVD and whatnot. Um, but what what is it? So yeah, so it, it, even if it's not the entire co- collection, it's roughly it's got to be over ninety percent. I want to say okay. it's, it's essentially what they were hosting on Hulu, which is no longer now the Criterion's exclusive uh, streaming place. Will be this Filmstruck, um, cool. and they're they're working towards uh, doing things like um, actually having bonus features as a part of the film streaming service. Fuck, so yeah. you can literally click on Thorn of Blood and if you didn't want to watch Thorn of Blood but you want to listen to the commentary you could uh listen to the Now f- we're gonna we're gonna back up here yep. and this is a total sidetrack. Okay. But for certain people, specifically you yeah. and other people, this A sounds great for people ex- being accessible to this, <laughs> but B Takes away a little bit from what Criterion's yeah. purpose is, right? So I would say yes and no. Uh, yeah. As for someone who 
myself, it doesn't really bother me because of the fact that I'm I'm more of a Criterion uh, worshiper uh, because of the quality of film restoration. I'm not a big special features guy, even though I totally love what they do and whatnot. Um, or but, the physicality of actually having. Well, I was going to yeah. say that that was part of it of what? of getting the actual Blu-ray highest quality you can get of this, and right. now it's even though it's HD quality, it's still streaming. So exactly, it's still streaming. That's why it's still not competing with what I have on my actual right. like cabinet and whatnot. Now, yes, it is starting to bridge the gap a little bit between like people who buy a Criterion solely, not solely, but for the special features and for the total package. Yeah, it's starting to widen that margin a little bit. But in general, the, the special features will never be unless they they totally break it wide open. Will never be as comprehensive as they can be on. Uh, on a streaming service, just due to the sheer volume of which... I mean, I bought, um, for example, let's say, Red River uh, is a John Wayne classic directed by Howard Hawks. The Criterion Blu-ray comes with the original novel, (laughs) Red River. It comes with um, all three versions, the reconstructed version, the theatrical version, and the pre-release version. Like Those are things that are not going to be... Now, specifically, yeah. if they get to a point where they have 100% of their library, which honestly probably will never happen, uh, just because that puts yourself in an even bigger corner, but uh, you have a very wide variety of the library, and if it is, I don't know what the dollar amount, but if it is $10 a month, then it's going to be $10 a month. Does it get to the point where you are devaluing your product on the shelf because Criterions are known for being not the cheapest things ever unless you're getting it during their sales. Well, I would say this. Uh, it's not so much that they're devaluing, but Criterion, I would say, is a smart company. They, Besides the fact that they commission all original artwork, they uh, unless there's an iconic poster, which they reproduce for good reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but because they do, they go to great lengths. They put the... Um, they put spine numbers on the spine uh you know like they are basically creating cocaine for cocaine film addicts like they know exactly what to do to make sure that the people like me are still going to buy their product so essentially they've already won us over and there's really nothing they're going to do uh barring some crazy technological advancement that i i you know i can't foresee that's ever going to truly if anything all they're really going to do is probably get more customers like well but I, I guess what i'm saying is like let's just say the baseline for a criterion that comes out first day full price is $30 yep and you can see most of them for $10 a month yep like are, is your opening product going to eventually down the road come out for a lower price point when it gets released i don't know i don't think so okay. only because they have they've had the same price point since I've been collecting, and that was since I was 16 years old. So because I haven't seen a change, and that was before they did Blu-rays, so I guess the price point changed a little bit because yeah. they had a new format. But um, because I have not seen a single change in in, in 10 years, I don't think this will be the thing that does change cool. it. The, the only thing I could see is prices might go down in general, even if they did do film truck, like if you know the DVD home release market saw an actual... Uh, dip or whatever they they had to combat that but other than that no i think they're pretty much they can charge that much for a movie because they right and you know some people like myself we wait till the half off sale and and i think they're happy too because it's a people start buying in bulk and yeah and when you have your levels of inventory that are 
higher than you'd like them to be, yeah. that's where you have sales. Exactly. And I'll say this as my own personal experience. I will never truly give myself over, shall we say, to, to the dark stre- side. Well, that, yes. <laughs> uh, to a streaming service, the dark side. Um, until streaming over any, I would say, home broadband connection can per- uh, perfectly match uh, a, you know, a 1080p. Uh, Probably a ways away on that one. I was going to say, it's like right now, only Netflix is like even close to it. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen Filmstruck because I haven't actually subscribed. I'm sure it'll be good. But I'm sure, well, it'll, I'm sure it'll be good. in a couple months. Right. Um, but none of them have ever wowed me the same way than when I put a, an actual physical disc into my Blu-ray player. I still, and this is totally nerding out, I remember the first Blu-ray, at least the first one I can remember purchasing, I don't know about watching, but the first one I remember purchasing was Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Man's Chest, which was the second one, which oh, I th- yeah. think came out in 2007, 2008. Yeah. And um, I just remember the look on... Now, wait, really quick. Did sure. you purchase that like when that movie came out, like so yeah. to speak? Okay, so wow, you were an early adopter. I was going to say, it was a pretty early one, yeah. which I had a Blu-ray player pretty much right off the bat because I got PlayStation 3 when ah, it came right, out. Right. So yeah. I wasn't person who was dropping three right, right, bills right. on a blu-ray player at best buy yeah which is great because you can go buy one now for like 15 bucks but i had the blu-ray player i watched uh the first film that i had and just remember being completely in awe by how the uh, it's more what the special effects look like on blu-ray than opposed i mean the landscapes and everything looks really good just regular film looks really good but you talk about computer-generated effects and good computer-generated effects, and the way that they pop on Blu-ray is just like the look of uh, Davy Jones from the that original Blu-ray that I have. I was just blown away by how crazy clear, clear that was. So yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. It is. There's a we reason still gotta why. have that Criterion episode one day. Yeah. That would be fun. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to let Toussaint talk, if that's okay, because nope. he's just been sitting here patiently waiting and not really caring about this time. Actually, yeah, I just didn't want to interrupt you. Oh, no, yeah. You're, yeah. You're, you're good. I, I know that I think Toussaint's pretty much in the same boat as me, where I think you own some Criterions, don't you? Yes. But you're not like a Criterion person, because mm. I, I think I own four or five. I own, I think... Three criterions. Yeah, my yeah. first one being uh, less two fifty six. <coughs> Is that really your number? <laughs> yeah. Holy shit! I mean, that's a that's a. I mean, I've seen your <laughs> your wall, so I can believe that. That's ten years worth. Like that's not. Yeah. I mean, of somebody who's really really enjoys them. Yeah. So there you go. I've sold some. Yeah. <laughs> so that's 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 just this number. Yeah. Anyway. So I watched uh, episode seven of Westworld this you, past you, week. You, you I'm not going to tell you about you it. Shut <laughs> up. We just talked about the no. episode. I'm really enjoying the season. I can't wait for us to have our episode where we're all going to have watched all the episodes and talk about it. Without spoilers. Yes. Can I say, like, now you've seen seven episodes out of the uh, ten episode season. Have you been happy with the way the show has progressed since that very first episode where we all kind of gave our reactions? I, you know, I think I have. Like, there have been some moments that have been sort of, like, meandering for me. Like, for the couple early ones, I was just like, I don't know where this is going. It's like, And then, and now I'm at, at a point where I don't even want to 
like like usually this is this is the point like in in the later half of a first season where I'm just like buzzing with different theories like I am totally exhausted of all theories I have no idea what the hell's going to happen next and I just watch it out of the compulsion to see what's going to happen next like it's it's still a really interesting story in and of itself but I'm just looking forward to um, the inevitable season two coming out is like how it's going to peel back the layers even more. Like it's just been a really God, Anthony Hopkins is such a fucking great actor. Like he's just so he's so great in the show. I love when it. he wants to be. Yeah. I mean no, he, like this <laughs> is this is him like like no bullshitting. Like this is him and his I'm glad to hear that because just from the first episode alone, I didn't think he was gonna have much involvement with the show. Like oh. I, I mean I know he had an integral character, but he's I a always, principal character, but yeah. I thought it was going to possibly be like I a, don't I don't know anything about after the first episode. I'm positive he's going to be killed off by the end of the first season. Whoa. <laughs> Yeah. That's a theory. Yeah. That's a theory. I have only seen one episode, but he does not look like someone who will be hanging around for very long. Are you talking about Anthony Hopkins or are you talking about the character? Well, no. I mean, <laughs> like, just I, in the limited TV landscape I have, when you have, even though. When you have a prestige actor like yeah, that. Like, he's not going to be. You're saying Ed Harris of the prestige? Ed Harris is great. You he know, is great. You, you He's great my, in this, too. You, you know my feelings on Ed Harris. Ed Harris has not had a lot going on the last, like, five years. There are layers <laughs> to uh, to the man in black. I like that. Like an ogre? Um, Sure. Yes. Pull back that onion. Yeah. But, uh, but no, I, I'm very excited to watch. I'm planning to watch them. And in fact, and that's the problem. Like, I've been waiting patiently on it, and I've been trying to, but I know that I think once I start watching it, I'll be knocking out three episodes at a time. So At I've... this point, just wait for the the last three episodes to come out and just binge it. Yeah, and that's just, probably just what's going to happen. Knock it out. I wish I could do that, but I'm already too deep in. I have to like, no, watch it No, I mean, and that's great. You know, I was mentioning before we started this episode that I'm so happy about this because this is a show that I wanted to succeed. I wanted people to like and it really does seem like this is a show that could catch some steam going into the second season, which is really when you can start judging uh, uh, a show's longevity. Like, we're going to judge the show based on what their premiere does for mm. the second season, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's a real good baseline to see if this will be a five-season show or a two- or three-season show. So I wanted to mention uh, Nick. Yeah. With, without, without giving any spoilers, I I'm feel- here. I feel like uh, later on in the the season, it takes cues from one of your favorite Whedon shows, Dollhouse. Yeah, so yeah, I know that's kind of it's. I will say that's maybe one reason why I haven't like consciously mm. trekked for it, not because I think it's a ripoff. It's or, not Dollhouse, uh, but because I keep thinking like, am I gonna get? <laughs> enjoyment out of this as a separate entity or am I going to keep my own self like thinking about dollhouse and whatnot it's um, way different and it's enough. not even just a dollhouse too though it's yeah. uh it's any kind of simulcra sort of not even like dystopian sci- sci-fi but yeah. any post 9-11 sci-fi that like like dollhouse and uh, Battlestar Galactica the remake both kind of have that idea of like man versus machine and which one is sentient and which one isn't and uh, the witch hunt that ensues when you have this very uh, diabolical, I don't know. I wonder uh, why that is. But, yeah, I have really enjoyed the seven episodes of Westworld so far, and I'm looking forward to finally finishing off and maybe even having like a discussion episode on it. I think it would be a 
be really cool. Yeah. We're looking forward to it, too. At least I am. I can't speak for Nick because no one can. Ooh. Nope. <laughs> He's a wild card. I, I have what? no idea. It's a rebellion. It's what I do. Okay. Sure. That's great. Um, I also saw another film uh, this past week, one uh, that I it, – it feels like I should have – at some point, have sat down and like watched this when I was younger. You've never seen it before. I've, this moment, I had never seen it Whoa. before. Um, Even I've seen it. I know, and that's that's crazy for how much uh, anime that I've seen. Yes, this is an and anime. How film. little anime I've seen. I know. Yeah. Um, so I finally watched Hayao Miyazaki's uh, My Neighbor Totoro for the first time, and man, that film is delightful. It's fantastic. I love it. the The theme song is great. Hey, let's go. Hey, let's go. Yeah, and and. I, I watched that and, and I realized why Totoro was so iconic. It's just because he's just a big ball of fluff. Snorlax. Yeah, he's just a Snorlax. He's just he's just so lovable. It's like if you were a kid, like you'd want to hang out with Totoro too, like with his flying top and shit. It's like that'd be great. Agreed. Yeah, and only kids can see him. So uh yeah, that's that's pretty dope. I also saw um the nineteen seventy two um Aizawa Takahata film Panda Go Panda, which is sort of the precursor um, the archetypal precursor to My Neighbor Totoro. Oh, I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, it came out in 1972 as a 30-minute sh- short film in theaters, and then the second half came out in 1973. It was kind of like coasting off the high of these two pandas that had been transferred to a Japanese zoo from China during that year. So, And it was scripted and storyboarded by Hayao Miyazaki and then directed by his mentor, Takahata. And like, that's a pretty good one, too. I heard a rumor he's coming back. Is that correct? I was just about to <clears throat> excuse me. I was just about to say that it's funny that you bring up Totoro because yeah. we are in the midst of two breaking stories, uh not literally at this moment, mm-hmm. but this past week we did uh we were blessed with the news that he will be re- uh coming out of retirement mm-hmm. for another movie, which yeah. thank God because I like his movies. Yeah. Um uh but also just on another note, uh if anybody missed the opportunity to see Spirited Away, yes. that will be playing at a lot of major theaters this Ooh. December. So I got the press anybody. release for that. Yep. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah. So if you, uh, which is a great film, if no one's ever seen it, uh, you should go see it. Anyway, uh, but yeah, some some great uh, Miyazaki news. Yeah, he's coming out of retirement to pretty much expand upon this to defeat Trump. This short film that he uh, released a couple of years ago that he wasn't so satisfied with, and he wanted to just expand it into a full length film. And you know, I'm. Let's be honest. He did it for the money. No, he he didn't. He has. He, <laughs> hey, he has, must be the money. He, he's got more you than enough money. I was, Shut up. I, I was I was joking you enough to defend him. Yeah, I was like he's <laughs> this way. Hey, must be the money. Okay. Um, I'm I'm a little bit conflicted about the news of him coming out of retirement, just because I'm really excited for this new film. I think that it's going to be great. Like any. New Miyazaki news is great news, in, in my opinion. But I just felt that... Unless his, he dies. <laughs> his last film that came out... That will um, be his last if he dies. <laughs> his last film Sorry. that came out, The Wind Rises, was just such a a consummate ending to... It was. Not only was, to his career, but also just to his entire like creative ethos. It thing. was, but it's also, I will admit, that's kind of one of the most divisive Miyazaki films I've seen as far yes. as people having an opinion on whether oh, yeah. it's like... 
pro, shall we say? People are saying whether it's pro uh, Japan right. circa <laughs> World War Two. I haven't even seen the film, and I'm already, which is horrible and biased, and that's not how you should hold an opinion. Yeah. But uh, I haven't even seen the film, and I already think like the idea that it's pro, you know, Japan and mm. war, whatever, is insane. Just because, just from what I, the summary I've read, and knowing Miyazaki, like that the. the the idea should be more about like the beauty that can come from like the worst possible. That that, that that's I, I I was talking and how important art is. Yeah, I I watched that film and I talked it over with a colleague of mine and he really kind of brought to light this is something that was that was such a salient fact and and I and I just love the way that he worded it, which was that film is not only a a perfect ending ending point for Miyazaki's career, but also touches home to the core ideal to it, which is not espousing like Japanese beliefs circa World War II, but it's basically talking about the nature of how an artist cannot control what their work will become once it is actually yeah. put out into the world itself. Yeah. Like you, like you can only like, like it's a story about a guy who, created these iconic like Japanese like war planes during that time because he wanted to be a an aviator he wanted to like create like airplanes and stuff but the only way he was able to actually have the opportunity to do that was for the military and so it, it's more of like a devotion to the craftsmanship of the very product itself and not for what it was going to be used for yeah so yeah Cool. Thanks for that, Tucson. I mean, it's the Miyazaki thing uh, of him coming back is uh, I've n- never been into anime. But yeah. I'm, I'm interested to see his work because I have seen quite a few of his films. And um, Miyazaki is the ambassador of anime pretty much, and that's why e- e- even you have heard that news and, and, and sure. have, like brought that up. So, yeah. 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 And I, I already knew who he was. Right. Yep. Knew his impact on uh, – on the landscape of that. So that's, uh, that's something. Right. So before we talk about arrival, one more short little segment, uh, I'm going to talk about something we do every now and then on the podcast. We're just talking about trailers, mm-hmm. trailer. Everybody pretty much. Winnebago's. <laughs> oh no, you bet. Oh uh, yeah. Whoops. Like coming attractions. Oh, okay. Yeah. Something that for the most part, our society has become obsessed with and it makes sense because YouTube is very accessible. And smartphones are very accessible, so there you go. There you go. And, yeah, two trailers debuted this uh, last week or so. Uh, and the first one, uh, I know Nick has thoughts on, I'm sure, is the uh, the Beauty and the Beast trailer, which, uh, is that right? Is it pretty much shot for shot? That's as, what I read. Uh, the animated trailer? I yeah. saw the, the comparison. And yeah. it's yeah. pretty close. Yep. It's, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, what are your thoughts? I have to say, first off, that CGI beast looks bad, right? Am I the only one who thinks that? I don't know, but I disagree. But I will say the thing that stuck out to me was not actually anything related to the beast. Which I, is fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were other parts of it that were definitely but, good. But the beast isn't completely CGI. I mean, I thought it was mostly makeup. I don't know. It, it didn't look good to me. I got to tell you, I, I liked a lot of the trailer. Yeah. And I, I liked uh, things I was skeptical about, like the... Uh, um, the clock and the Lumiere and that That's kind of thing. That's what we've got to talk about. Got to talk about that clock. I don't know. Like, I'm, I I don't know. But the, the Beast was the thing that stuck out to me in a bad way. But continue with your thoughts, Nick. Well, what I like about the Beast, at least, whether it looks bad or looks good, or is that I like that it's more of a throwback to uh, the 
Cocteau version back in the 40s, the French filmmaker who made uh, Beauty and the Beast, uh, mm-hmm. which is a great film. It's in the Criterion Collection. Shocking. <laughs> but um, this seems to be in that same vein, which is to make the beast actually look terrifying instead of look like a hairy, adorable dog, like the uh, 1991 mm-hmm. Disney classic. And I yeah. say that, that's one of my all-time favorite movies. Yeah, sure. So I'm not criticizing it for that, but to at least acknowledge the idea that this is like hard to fall in love with, so to speak. Um, but I, I got to admit, I like the trailer. I, it kind of puts some of my fears at ease, considering it's a remake, essentially, of one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, and I don't. I still don't know how the musical part of it's really going to fit into it. Even though, like, uh, we we get certain cues brought up, like the the piano chords for tales all the time, and a few other stuff, or even just like the uh, the actual the um, the original opening of Beauty and the Beast with the uh, whatever. I think I think this film will be much much more unanimously well received than the previous live-action efforts have been specifically because the music is added. Into and, it. I, and I hope it's, it's done well, but I, I would say so far, I, I, I can't see, like... It, it's weird, because I like the trailer, and yet I also can't see how the song Gaston like, fits into this world, like how everybody's just going to goofy It's funny, because I actually thought... I think that's the one song that I think I'm the most excited to see in the final film. So it's, I'm it's excited weird. to see it if it's done well. I'm saying, yeah. like, this is just kind of made me start to go like well how does like a bunch of dudes like because this looked like a very like kind of serious men's film. rights activists <laughs> yeah well i mean well yeah pretty much um, yeah. who can pepe like gaston <laughs> but in general i will say i, I was i was who can ex- vote like gaston <laughs> oh. too true my friend oh. But in general, I got to say, the, the one thing I loved about this is I do – I, I love the, the set dressing and all that. And it's not so much that I didn't think that Disney would have the money to come up with something like that. But I do think it faithfully recreates the gothic kind of atmosphere of this grand palace, so to speak. Of love both, shit. Yeah, both the, the, the darker corners of it, but also like I genuinely – I don't I – can't, I can't remember if we see it in the trailer or not. But I can't wait to see the library scene and, the, yeah. and not just because I'm a library nerd but because that's actually an important yeah. uh, moment in, in their relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, but little things like that. I will say the thing that's still, I, I maybe I just have to watch an entire you know 90 to 100 minutes of it just to get used to it, but I'm still not completely sold on the uh, animation of the, of the inanimate objects. I will say, when I saw the first photo of it, I thought it was laughable. Yeah. Um, the trailer, uh, at least with... Uh, Lumiere and Cogsworth put my fears a little bit at ease because I thought their characters at least looked like their interaction could at least feel authentic. Now, when we see Mrs. Potts in the trailer, I thought that was terrible. Yeah, so. the, that, that, that was actually the one that really stuck out in my head. Yeah. And, and what's most upsetting about what I saw in the trailer, at least, because the movie could be fine, I, and I'm very open towards mm-hmm. it being good, but the most upsetting thing about like what they possibly have done with these uh, these characters 
is that the the whole idea of Beauty and the Beast, the the Disney original classic, is that these inanimate objects are supposed to basically be more animated than your average human being. I mean, that's supposed to you're, you're supposed to basically believe that they are human beings trapped in an animate object before you are even told that through exposition. And so to see these weird, what look like stickered on faces, like especially Mrs. Potts is the worst uh, as far as what we've seen in the trailer. Uh, That's the only thing where I'm like, am I really going to... Like whereas I when I watch the original film I I see these animated beings and I and I'm so enthralled by them like I can't imagine a be my guest I'm in this universe I'm I'm positive and Tuzan I know you yeah. like brimming of something to say I'm positive whenever it comes out that the most difficult aspect of this film was getting that right yeah. because there's really no way it could be done that's going to be really good like it was always going to be in my opinion at least. The one part of this film that's like, eh, but there was nothing you could really do with it unless you just made them animated characters. I just so. wish Andy Serkis could have played every character. <laughs> and uh, yeah. she what were you going to say? I um, well, first off, it's been a it's been a minute since I've actually seen the original like Beauty and the Beast film. It's, it's a, a it's it, I mean I know it's Nick's well, Nick, it's it's a very good anime. It is. Film. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's a really good film. It's like I'm not contesting that. It's like but is that the actual story? It's like I remember the prince was an asshole, turned away a woman and she turns out to be a witch and then she cursed him and the entire castle and everybody in it and they turn into inanimate objects. They're people whose souls have been ingrained into these yep. inanimate Wow, that's fucking horrifying. Yeah, like no, literally all the servants like genuinely have no <laughs> Like they, they did not, did, they did not deserve this. So what to speak. did they do to blight God so that He would like do this to him? Yeah, Especially the Mrs. Potts's child. Who's... I know Chip. <laughs> yeah, fuck, he oh, was just man. a child. Yeah, there's, there's, <laughs> this is going to be a weird remake for me because normally I'm not invested in remakes in the sense that it, I, I hope it differs itself from whatever. But from this trailer, at least, we're pretty much told as an audience that this is a remake. That this Some, is going to be an it'll actual be Jungle Book tier, a which recreation was good. of what we already have seen. So, so much time has been put into this, though. This is like, like their production schedule was long, and yeah. the post production schedule was even lengthier than yeah. usual. And because this was a film that was completed, I want to say in like late 2015. When you say completed, you mean like before. Like yeah, before production and all that. Post production yeah, yeah, okay. and, and, and right, right, animation right. and all that. Yeah. But like the filming physical filming of yeah. this uh project took place last year and this is a movie that isn't coming out until it's not is it summer or is it in spring? I can't yeah, I want to say spring of okay. twenty seven. I think but it's like, like March that or something. It is a long time yeah. in between, especially yeah. in this era. So I'm just happy I'll say this much. That's my final thought. I'm just glad that after the trailer uh was released I, I no longer think that this will be a like Alice in Wonderland type uh, cash grab of a. It, it might be something I dislike. It might be something I love. Uh, but it at least looks like it tried, and that's all I could really ask. Unlike the uh, the NBC after Thanksgiving programs, uh, which uh, started, I believe, uh, did it start with uh, the Carrie Underwood one. I don't remember what it was. Sound of Music. Sound of Music. Yep. And then we're talking we, about the NBC Live. Yes. And then we went to yep. the Peter Pan yep. thing with Christopher Walken. And the Wiz. And then we went to the Wiz. Yep. And now we've got Hairspray. Yeah. They're not going any better. Yeah. No. <laughs> 
But I feel like these Disney live-action reimaginated films, I thought Maleficent was not that great. Cinderella was okay. It was a Kenneth Branagh film. You knew what you were going to get with that. Yeah. But I feel like they're learning from their mistakes and actually applying that to the future of their films, yeah. unlike somebody like Marvel. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and for very selfish reason, I'm just glad that uh, it seemed like Beauty and the Beast is in better hands than something maybe like Cinderella or something because yeah. I, I like this much more than that. So. Yeah. And I think most people probably will. Yeah. So, so it, yeah. Anyway, do you have any other thoughts to stop before we move on? Uh, no. Okay, very good. I know somebody you will have thoughts on, <laughs> though, and that is the uh, the other trailer we're going to mention, which is the first full length Ghost in the Shell trailer. We had gotten. Weird images and five-second trailers. Yeah, I was going to say. Ooh, it's wait, trailers even, for people who don't have attention span. Before we even talk about Whoa. the trailer, I was genuinely surprised. Like, the day after that stupid teaser, I'm like, oh, wait. So that teaser was only literally to tease that that the trailer was going to come out the I thought day was, after? I thought it was going to come out, like, in a, in a week. Right, or, or something. They're like, Here, here's what you're... But, like, nobody needed that, because... But anyway, the, yeah. the trailer itself is now out. The, tra- yeah. the trailer is out, and there, just as uh, there probably will be with the final film, there are a wide variety of thoughts on it. Yeah. Uh, ranging, ranging all the way from this is the worst thing that's happened <laughs> since the Trump election to this is actually going to be really good. Like I've seen people who, mm-hmm. who thoughts have been that this yeah. could be a really good science fiction film. Yeah. So, Tucson... I, I mean, I know that you're probably not – your worries have not been eased by the trailer, but what are your thoughts, at least initially? I have very complicated um, <laughs> opinions about what I saw in that trailer because I've already seen, like, the other previous clips, and I'm just like, oh, that's kind of interesting. It's like they're... I want to I say some things that I am positive about with this film before I, I move on to some less positive about it. It's like from already what I can tell of – what what I've I've heard of from in, interviews and for pre screenings and stuff like that, this is not a carbon copy of the 1995 Momoro Oshi film, but rather this is sort of a recontextualization that combines um, sort of the broad arc, white strokes the the, the 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 broad arc of that film, while also incorporating more like universe heavy elements from the actual Ghost in the Shell show, which is like my favorite continuity of it. And then there's like that one occasional visual reference to the other uh, Ghost in the Shell continuity that I don't want to talk about because it sucks. But at least, you know, they're, they're pulling from all these different corners and they're trying to create something that very much does pay homage and, and, and respect to the spirit of, it. I even saw the opening shell sequence that actually takes the, the original theme from the 1995 film and actually overlays it. And I thought that was really cool. It's not as cool as like the short film from, um, I think it was Alex Ross that did it a couple of years ago, but it was still really cool. Um, now moving on to some less positive things. Yeah, this, I, this, this film, so, yeah, I was going to say Tucson. Sorry, I mean, you can't see this obviously as you're okay, just listening buddy. to this, but Tucson is like having a moment here. Yeah. Like th- <laughs> this, this film pays so much attention towards paying t- towards paying visual fidelity towards its source material 
And I'm worried that that's all that it's getting out of it. That all that all Rupert Sanders saw when he saw Ghost in the Shell standalone complex, all he saw when he watched the 1995 film, all he saw when his rise was like, oh man, look at this cool, bright, like neon cyberpunk robot shit. I will say that's the one good thing I'll say about the trailer is that I want to see it just to see about a hundred minutes of those cityscapes. Yeah. I mean, this, my my opinion about the cityscapes is like, you know, that's. I'm not saying it's original. I'm not saying whatever, but I, I would spend time with it. I'm, I'm fucking tired of holograms and holographic billboards, but, you know, it looked like a really cool yeah. rendition of that city. There was elements that I thought, like, looked a lot like the original. Um, I thought the Ghost in the Shell trail, if I can just interject, because yeah. I have really no thoughts on this. Right. It has me interested to go see the film, which is means that this trailer com- completely served its purpose. Yeah, there are some things that just aren't... That are incontrovertible from the anime to the film that I just feel like, in, even in the attempt of trying, like, I see why now with other adaptations of, like, fictional properties like X-Men and stuff, like, why they didn't go with, like, yellow leotards or anything like that, or, like, the original yellow leotards because they look stupid. Um, the major with her with her robot body looks like the Michelin man and yes, so and, and Dato's eyes let's talk about are that. not supposed to fucking look like that. Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah, let's talk about that. You showed me the original Ghost of Michelle movie yeah. sometime last year. Yeah. And I enjoyed it. Yeah. But when ever since this remake was announced, I was wondering how they were gonna tackle the idea uh, of <clears throat> of how her natural state is essentially a one of a naked body. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think I, I can't remember, so correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. In the anime movie, at least, I don't know about the show, or but in the movie, is it essentially an actual naked body? Like, it is, isn't it? Yeah, at least it, in it, a lot it, of scenes. Yeah, it's her It's her robot shell. In the right. actual show, they don't have that. Okay. Yeah. But in this movie... In this movie. They somewhat, shall we say, uh, make it a little more PG-13 friendly. Yeah, they make it a little more PG-13 which friendly. Which I can understand, yeah. because in a live-action movie, that's kind of weird if you have a, even if well, it is a robot. Not, you're not going to have Scarlett Johansson running around naked for the... No, but you're even not going to have Scarlett like, Johansson running around naked in a no, forest. No, but even if it wasn't... That's well, ridiculous. No, just, just in general, yeah. like, you weren't going to get that, so... Well, even if it wasn't her, though, or yeah. if it was her and she was wearing a suit, whatever, like, that's a weird thing to visualize that only something like anime can truly mm-hmm. uh shall we say do yeah. mm-hmm. without getting distracting yeah um gotta love that fan service i <laughs> i'm but yeah like it, seeing the way the trailer dis uh depicted that part i was like kind of caught off guard it was just so weird because i'm like it was it was in my face in how mm-hmm. not in the face it was yeah like <laughs> especially if you're familiar with the original yeah. source material um, I kept looking. Where's the nipple? I, w- I wanted to talk about something. It's it's the actual description of the film, and it's like, and they they introduce the major, and she's like, she's a one of a kind cyborg, and I was like, bro, you already <laughs> fucked up. You already fucked up because like you're you're put you're predicating that her uniqueness or or what makes her like a a particularly interesting character is because of like what the makeup of her body, her history, her past. That shit doesn't matter. It's like that. Like, that, that, so, but hold on just a second, though. Yeah. And, and this is coming from someone who has really no knowledge of yeah. the entire thing. I mean, making opinions of an entire narrative structure from a trailer is, no, or, it's, it's is from always the, dangerous territory. It's, it's, it's from the actual description of no, the, no, yeah. No, I'm, I'm just talking about taking from this trailer mm-hmm. and forming full opinions of what the film's 
complete structure is going to be is probably the wrong route to All go. Right. And yeah. if you see the final film and you still feel the same way, yeah. there's 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 nothing left to debate. But at least from this, I mean, it could just be something to try to dissuade viewers, as right. it has been done in many a trailers. So I don't. I don't. I, know. I, I, I just. You know, I'm going to go see the film either way. It'll be their it, first day, man. I know it. You know, I'm going to go see the film either <laughs> way. Um, and I've kind of already made peace with the fact that when it comes out and if it sucks, um, the, the original film's not going to go away. The show's not going to go away. The comic's not going to go away. I'm still going to like it. And it's going to be just just the same like when, when Watchmen came out. It was just like yeah. Watchmen well, still exists. So. I mean, we'll have to call it the 2017 Ghost in the Shell and everything. We'll so. have to call it the White Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> anyway. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see when, when this film I'm sure at this out. point we're going to be doing an episode on it because I would... Sure seems that way. I, I think this is the hear. third time we've taken multiple uh, minutes of almost an entire hey, segment to talk about it. I was going to so. say, I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, it's important. Sure. Yeah. Anyway. It's like a film like uh, like Suicide Squad, which I'm pretty sure pretty sure we took more time talking about the <laughs> buzz about it than Before. we actually did on the actual episode. I mean, it's kind well, of several yeah. from the film itself. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Speaking of that, not that it will be brought up at all. Uh, actually, probably won't be brought up even for more than like a second yeah. at all. Uh, we are going to do a year in review episode uh, next January, so that's something to look forward to. Yeah, is, we is, will. We had a really fun time with that last year. Oh, so. yeah. That was great. And what I want to why I want to say that is uh, I think because it was... Suicide Squad's going to be number one in all three of our Absolutely. Yeah. But in addition to that, uh, we all enjoyed doing the episode uh, where we went through ten different categories and saying our favorite or least favorite or whatever. Yeah. And I wanted to say that before I forgot about it, because it just brought up in my mind, is something I wanted to make sure we mentioned, is that if you out there listening had any suggestions of a category yeah. or something we should talk about on that, you know, 10 or 12 or whatever, however many different categories we talked about mm-hmm. on yeah. that uh, bonus episode, if you have a suggestion of what one of those should be, feel free to send it on, because it's not like they have to be top movie Best actor, that kind of thing. We we got pretty creative with it last year, and we'd like to be even more creative with it. And we'd love you to be part of it as yeah. a, as our audience. Yes. Speaking of, if I'm really quickly going to interject here, sure, and say I want to give a shout out to a film tank listener. Oh, because they commented, yeah, on our Facebook post, and it was a very lengthy comment. And I do not mean that as an insult. Yeah. Like I. <laughs> I ate it up. Yeah. Um, in fact, I'm even going to really quickly read a sure. part of it, mm-hmm. uh, but they were mostly responding to our Rashomon episode. Mm-hmm. So this is this is proof positive that if you do write into us, you will be acknowledged, and yeah. I'm going to do that right now. But um, let's see here. That was from someone named uh, Dan. Dan. Yep, okay. yep, Dan, a friend of the show, I believe. Yeah, yeah. yes. And uh, Dan, I want to thank you for all your thoughts. Uh, you literally like commented on just about everything in this particular episode and uh like with actual concise and intelligent uh thoughts and uh that's dan yeah i was gonna say so we love it i you this is the first time where i think someone's responded to us where i was like getting intimidated by who was (laughs) because i was like oh man they're name dropping kieslowski and and pasolini so I, i was just very excited by that yeah but uh really quick uh dan wanted to uh say that so we covered Rashomon, and he said we covered it pretty darn well, yeah. according to him. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. <laughs> and um, so he says he doesn't have much to add, but he does want to 
give a take that I think is pretty important and something outside of our three uh, or four, because Brian was here, Mm -hmm. uh, perspective, which is that I do have to take issue with one part of the episode. I'm not sure which guy said what here, so I'm not going to name any names. Uh, Toussaint. That was not me. (laughs) Just kidding. It was probably me, to be honest. So I'm not going to name any names, but there was some loose talk about how Kurosawa has a better feel for the epic than the intimate, as well as the assertion that Toshiro Mifune essentially gives the same performance in every movie across the board. To both of these claims, I cry foul. Foul, I tell you. Check out The Bad Sleep Well, Stray Dog, and even Yojimbo, and you'll get a much clearer idea of the man's range. I could also recommend any number of films that show Kurosawa's mastery of the intimate and nuance. But he's perhaps even more impressive when he melts the personal with the epic, such as High and Low, or Red Beard, or Ikiru. Anyway, I just wanted to get that off my chest. If you guys are thinking about tackling more of his future, feel free to let me know, and I'd be happy to bore you guys with a shitload of recommendations. Seriously, though, as I said above, thank you so much for focusing one of your episodes and Rashomon. Props to you all. And uh, I got to admit that I'm extremely short-sighted when it comes to Kurosawa. He's made over 40 movies, I want to say. And so uh, it's definitely, I think he's more well-known for the epic. Yeah. uh, Because, I mean, Seven Samurai and whatnot. And and I'll say this. I may even have been the one who made the comment on Mifune Mm -hmm. in in a positive light, though, because I absolutely love Mifune, and I think he's great. And but I, the three I, movies that we both have seen yeah. that Star Mifune have been, I would say, not the same role, but uh, call for a similar uh, in the same mold of that role. Yes, he's playing a he's playing a version of him. Yeah, of but himself, I, I'm yeah. totally there with you in the sense that I have on my own shelf that I haven't watched yet. Uh, uh, Ikaru and uh, High and Low, High and, and Low, especially because that stars Mifune. Yeah, uh, and, I, and I have Yujimbo, which I've had for two years and I haven't still, even fucking watched it. I know, but so. this comment made me want to get high what? and low off the shelf. Yeah. So, so, and I, maybe for you as well, for Yojimbo. So I do. I'm excited at the prospect of uh, delving even more deeper into Kurosawa. And uh, definitely, I think this is a good reminder that we here at Film Take are not trying to, shall we say, give out a, in a some kind of consensus that encapsulates all, but so much yeah. uh, just our, our own weird, unique corner of what we, between the three of us or four with a guest speaker, uh, you know, can bring to the table. Especially we always enjoy And that's why we appreciate when someone does write it. Especially with somebody like Kurosawa, as you already mentioned, he has like yeah. 40, whatever the number is, films. I was going to say. But he, he spent a long pretty much legendary career but you look at somebody who's more recent I mean you can get even bigger names like someone like Paul Thomas Anderson where me and you I think Nick have seen all of his films I think I've seen all of them and I know you have obviously yeah I think you have Uh, and somebody like I don't know why I'm thinking of this person but like Nicholas Wayne Refn who's been more of a recent uh, someone who's kind of jumped onto the stage and has put out these yeah. kind of divisive films. You could have a very strong opinion on those people because you've seen all of their works. Oh, yeah. But someone like Kurosawa, like, oh, yeah. unless you are a huge fan, you've not seen all of no, his films. No, it's, so. it's all in moderation. I mean, for someone like myself who I, I – you know, I proclaim that I love foreign film, and I do, uh, and that I'm knowledgeable or whatever, but – 
having a conversation with me about Ingmar Bergman is much different than having a conversation with me about Akira Kurosawa, which yeah. is that Ingmar Bergman, I wouldn't call myself an expert or anything like that, but I can actually, I can, I can talk about it and say what the career is like from start to finish or whatever. But no, I will fully admit, and if that wasn't clear enough in the episode, that I don't know shit about Kurosawa. <laughs> I, I like the films that I've seen, and yet I'm uh, I, there's still so much to watch. See, th- that's the thing about being a... Uh, like a like a film fan or somebody who's who like really delves in deep like your your purview may be foreign films like my purview is like anime films like if you ask me about Katsuhiro Tomo or Satoshi Kon I could talk your ear off but it was only until recently that I actually even learned of and started appreciating Aizawa Takahata like yeah. he's like one of the three pillars of Studio Ghibli that people just don't know about and he's like got a huge prolific like awesome career but that's how it yeah. goes man I mean like look at look at even like going into like bookstores like yeah you go and you see all of those still exist you see all of the literature <laughs> like through, <laughs> through, through, through all oh, yeah. time like that's a, a a condensed version of, of what that is and that obviously yeah. doesn't even have close to all of the books and literature that is out there but films yeah. are the same way where you have a, a good appreciation for even like a specific genre but man yeah. like there's just so much more out there yeah. that even the deepest uh film cinephile or viewer haven't even gotten to yet and dan if you're listening uh i may not be a kurosawa fan but if you want to talk about nagisa oshima let me know because that's my japanese boy (laughs) (laughs) all right we've taken so much time talking about other things which is great because i don't know how much we'll spend on arrival i really don't have that many thoughts (laughs) but uh that's the film we are talking about today uh, a film that has gotten a lot of uh, really strong buzz, and not necessarily for bad reasons. I mean, it's not like there's anything really bad to say about Arrival, uh, at least for me. But uh, it's an interesting that a lot of people have thoughts on this. And I even read an article today uh, by somebody who was trying to make the case why this should be the first sci-fi film to win Best Picture, which it won't be. Nope. In fact... Uh, I mean, I guess depending on how much is out there, which this has been a really shit year for films, it, yeah, it, won't, it, be. it won't be nominated even probably, but it could be, I suppose. Why would someone think that this would be? Just, okay. It, people want to get reads and they did it, so that's fine. But um, this is, for the most part, unanimously thought of as a as a good film. According to Donald Trump, we already had a sci-fi film win, which was 12 Years a Slave. Uh <laughs> See, this is why we invite Nick back every week. That is why you give me a call. So, Arrival is a uh, dramatic sci-fi film uh, directed by Denis Villeneuve, who has been very active in the last few years. Did like a film a year? How did pretty much? He's on the Woody Allen plan. Yeah, but like not like in the same vein of Woody (laughs) Allen as far as making the same movie over and over. He's somehow able to like Prisoners, Enemy. Uh, Sicario in this, yeah. and bom, 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 Blade Runner. Well, well he hasn't made yes. that yet. <laughs> yeah, he's making it now. It's coming well, out next year. I know, but what yeah. I'm saying is that this guy is very active, and he's putting out a, a, a large number of films. And for the most part, most people like his work. He's making so. fucking Blade Runner too. They're films I, I look so. forward to every year. Even if you don't I, necessarily love them, yeah, like I say, despite whatever my reactions are to his previous ones, so that's yeah. that's the sign of a uh, at least a good filmmaker. Yeah. So this film is about a linguist who is recruited by the military. Did you say she's a cunning linguist? Oh, I knew you were gonna do that. So you should have done that for the intro, but there you go. Whoopsie. 
uh, a linguist who is recruited by the military to assist in translating alien communications. Uh, the film does star Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner, and Forrest Whitaker. And uh, Michael Stolberg. Michael Stolberg makes an appearance here, not chasing after uh, a free thing of Cheetos in a vending machine. Yeah. No. But uh, he is here. Uh, I mentioned just offhand earlier, but Forrest Whitaker is doing this weird accent here. I don't know what it was. But I didn't really I, notice that. Have you not seen The Last King of Scotland? Okay, there's a big difference between what he's doing in The Last King of Scotland <laughs> and what he's doing here. Was he the king of Scotland? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's the point. So, uh, I need to see that movie. I will I say do. this. I I have to say, there's got to be other people out there who is having the same exact reaction I was. Is this going to be your Mark Ruffalo? I was just going to say oh, that. Sorry. This is my Mark Ruffalo because marbles I, in your mouth? I watched that twice and I still like, I kind of got it after thinking about it, but not really. I but this... keep getting away with her. <laughs> but... I like when he, when Forrest Whitaker started talking here. I was like, "Is he doing an English accent?" I wasn't. I, I honestly don't know. It, it felt like it changed huh. throughout. Interesting. Yeah, like a Halle Berry storm moment where he couldn't keep it together. Like I don't know what the fuck was going on here, but I wasn't feeling it. You know what happens to a toad when he's struck by lightning? <laughs> Same thing as that. <laughs> what, oh, what an amazing line of dialogue that I know, was. So great. Uh so yeah. This is a film that yep. was released that yep. has gotten a Good. lot of praise. Yep. Uh, just as Sicario did. Yep. And, um, yeah. Uh, who wants to go first? I'll go first. Okay. Go ahead, Jason. First off, I want to say I really love the cinematography. I love the score behind the film. I think that it's visually, it, it, it's, it, it's not spectacular. It's not meant to be spectacular, but it's just very... Um, well blocked. I think it's a well blocked. Um, the, this film, film, by the way, uh, was shot by a man named Bradford Young. Mm. Who, oh yeah, who's He's done great. who's done some wonderful work. Even recently, uh, most with violent year, a most violent year, which is a fantastic film, yeah. and uh, Selma who was also the cinematographer yep. there. So awesome. even even his recent work, and he's is quite now good. going to be shooting. I think. The Lord and Miller's Han Solo movie. Oh, wow. And yes. apparently he had to be kind of coerced, not coerced, but he was basically going to say no, but after his meeting with them, and he didn't say what they were, but they cited certain movies to be in, and he said it was from that moment on that he knew he wanted to be a part of that project. So that made me excited about a Star Wars movie, which is the first time ever. Yeah. Well, and uh, Denny Villeneuve has worked with some really, really strong cinematographer. I mean, he's yeah. worked with Roger Deakins. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, Prisoners, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he's he has picked, uh, even if it's not necessarily just him, yeah. but he knows who to work with for his projects. So and he does. Uh, definitely Bradford Young was a good choice here. Yeah. So um, going to like the actual like story and subject matter of this film, I, well, I'm, I'm a fan of, of science fiction and I am a, a communications major, like communications graduate who my, one of my pet um, topics that I really enjoy talking about is like, like the idea of like linguistic determinism or language as a cultural export that kind of transfers like different sorts of um, mentalities and values between one another just by actually like learning it. Like you, you ingratiate yourself into sort of the social structure and the nuances and sort of the, the fabric of a society by deeming to learn its language. And so I thought that that was a, very interesting element to see that sort of being like the 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 toss off between like these two 
totally, utterly alien um, perspectives between the humans and the the others. Um, so I really enjoyed that. Uh, Amy Adams, I thought, delivered a a pretty awesome like performance in her own right. I've, I don't think I've ever really seen her in, in a role like that before, but. Um, she was good in the Muppets. I have never, I never saw that. It's a joke. She's yeah, a, she's I mean, she's she's fine she, in the Muppets. She's fine in the Muppets. She is, and she's fine not, in this. It's not quite the same. Yeah, kind of she has had a lot of very major roles that yeah. have, have. I been. saw a very clickbaity video that, on the surface, I thought was very stupid, but watching it did kind of raise my appreciation of Amy Adams, so kudos to the really random viral video that's kind of going around right now, which is like, is Amy Adams the greatest actress of our generation? Probably not. Stop but, asking that que- Stop asking rhetorical questions that don't have an answer. But at least it backed it up with like an actual uh, breathtaking uh, overview of like, her career as to what she's played, and I was like, oh shit, she's good. She's got range. Yeah. She's went all the way from Enchanted to Man of Steel to American Hustle to yep. Her to The Master to yep. all kinds of oh, places. Oh, shit. She was in Man of Steel. I didn't even remember her or that That's movie. how good she is. She's the one who delivers the line in Batman v Superman, Martha's his mother. Thanks, Aww. Amy. Oh, yeah. I'm Thank right. you for that. It's all her fault. It's not her fault. It's the movie's fault. <laughs> it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Um. Yeah, Jeremy Renner in this. I thought that he was okay. He's he's so he was just there. He, the, he's always just there. I realized, like after the fact, like I was just like uh, going through like Wikipedia one day. Is like he was the protagonist, like the social protagonist from Twenty Eight Weeks Later. I'm just like, holy shit! Oh, he, he, he's the guy you call when you when Matt Damon doesn't when, want to do it anymore. When, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, he's he's. He, he's stock military dude, bro. Okay. I have to say, I liked him in this movie. I mean, he was fine. Well, I mean, as far as, like, I've never liked Jeremy Renner, and okay. this was the first role where I went to say, I was like, oh, <laughs> shit, I'm, I'm in for Jeremy Renner. But I will say this was the first role where I noticed him acting, so to speak, in a way that he doesn't normally... I thought he was fantastic in a film that I thought was very overrated, which was uh, American <laughs> Hustle. Uh, he played. What a, was he? A, oh, he was, a, he was a politician. Yeah, that's right. Actually, and I thought I he was admit. actually quite the standout from a film that was very bland. I was gonna say I forget about that movie, but I, I would say that I, he is actually quite good in that. Yeah. But in this pers- uh, specifically, I, I liked the way he played his role, at least. Uh, anyway. Yeah. But I, yeah, overall, I really enjoyed this movie, and I'm looking forward to like delving more and talking more about it. So, yeah, I'll pass it off to either one of you guys. Nick, Alex. That's fine. Uh, Obviously, with my feelings on Denis Villeneuve, which I was a huge fan of Prisoners a few years ago, uh, and I enjoyed Sicario. I did not think it was great, but I thought it was a really good film. Uh, Came into this with really high expectations, especially after hearing the reviews that early came out which were, for the most part, glowing. Um, and I thought this was a very good film, and I really enjoy what this was doing. But uh, this is one of those movies that... It didn't move you to tears? No. And also, too... Um, I've only seen Alex cry in one movie, and that was The Hangover 3. I was just going to say that, you fucking guy. <laughs> it's because they killed that giraffe. I mean, what the oh. fuck? Oh... <laughs> Uh, I feel bad for the person who's driving behind that. They had to clean that head off the windshield. That's really weird. So anyways, getting back to real movies, this film, uh, 
walking into it and just starting it. And walking out of it. And walking out of it. <laughs> Not literally. We watched the whole thing. Oh, yeah. But uh, you can't help but compare this to other science fiction films. Like, Nick, like we were barely out of the theater and you brought up Interstellar. And I don't think you can watch this and not think of Interstellar. So no, that's, it's that's a real problem. Somewhat unfortunate timing uh, with regards to that ideal uh, comparison. Yeah. So it's, it's so that's unfortunate, as as you just said. Um, but still, I do think the twist that this film has actually, for most people, probably works pretty well. And and I think that's the ultimate disconnect in this film that I still think is a very good film. But this is a film that is trying too hard to do too many things with too many different audiences. Mm. You know, you have to decide in this kind of film if you want this to be a all-the-way smart film that maybe is not as easy to digest for a mainstream audience. Or if you want it to just be a fun film that maybe doesn't get all the facts close to right. And this film, I feel like, gets caught way in between in that. Because there are some things that feel very real and some things that feel like do they really have that entire language knocked down already because she's going through that ipad like really quickly i wasn't and... really sure about the um the passage of time like how yeah. long does that yeah it's hard, i was it's hard to tell because they're inside genuinely the ship. confused and not in a fun sci-fi way like when i watch coherence or yeah. or even interstellar or something like that where you're trying to throw curveballs but when the movie was in a very workmanlike mode and it would montage the progress being made i was confused as to whether they were actually making progress or whether they were guessing and then it's not really until you're like done with the film you're like oh i guess they were just well, learning the, that the, language the, the film tries to go out of its way to tell you how much time doesn't matter, so that's kind of a kind of collapse. I mean, on time in the there. flat circle. When you really think, about fucker, it. you beat me to it. <laughs> so fuck you. Even with being said that, I <laughs> feel like this film gets caught in between. Uh, I still did enjoy uh, the the ending part of it, even though I kind of picked up on what was going on somewhat early on. But I I enjoyed it. I liked the uh, the way that it progressed, uh, especially throughout the middle to somewhat later parts of the film. And uh, I think that's where this film draws its strength from, is it is interesting throughout. And although the final 10 minutes falls a little bit flat, I think overall this film does a good job in what it is trying to do for its audience. And I think for the most part, audiences are grasping that. But... Uh, this is not a great science fiction film in, in any stretch of the imagination for me, but it is definitely something that I didn't mind spending two hours watching. Last thing I want to mention, though, uh, in putting together my thoughts for today, I honestly have not taken any time to think about this since we went to the theater, which is not a hallmark of a great movie. So, mm. Yeah. Mm. All right, moving on to Nick. Yeah, I, I liked it, yeah. but at the end of the day... I just walked away from it, disconnected from it. I liked it from afar. I, I, <clears throat> I would say that I admire any filmmaker that tries to bridge the gap between hard sci-fi and a mainstream popcorn audience. Because I think there is a way to do it which doesn't cheap out either audience, so to speak. I don't think that it was completely successful in this instance. I think, if anything, it worked against it. Because yeah. here I am watching this movie and I am more confused by the way it glosses over uh, certain 
uh, certain developments that in any other kind of movie that isn't beholden to ticket sales, so to speak, just doesn't feel like it would have glossed over. I mean, like I said, I and I'm not exaggerating when I said earlier that I was genuinely confused at certain points of this movie and, and confused in a way where I'm like, I don't think I'm supposed to be confused, but right now I feel stupid. And that's coming from someone who loves to watch movies like Primer, Coherence, whatever, um, or even Memento, which is not like the most confusing movie ever made, but it's a movie that at least makes you say like, hey, that's pay a, attention. That, that's a perfect example, yes. by the way, of combining yes. that kind of... Because you have to pay attention. It's yes. a puzzle box. Right. But, but at the same time, if you were just a mainstream <laughs> viewer, you can pick up what's going on pretty easily. Exactly. Unless you're a complete idiot, like some people out there who write views are, so there that you go. That is true. <laughs> and, and I know that this movie ultimately failed to connect with me by one simple thing, which is that this movie about a lot of things that I love, uh, like time loops and, and the uh, ethereal nature of uh, timelines in general and and whatnot, and yet the mo- the the minute the movie was over, I did not have a desire to rewatch it. Not because I like never want to see it again, but I always. I mean, when I watch Primer, I I watch it twice in a row. One because it's so short, but two because I can. I always want to try to understand it in a vacuum of being able to watch it. Mm. And here. I, that puzzle box aspect did not really work for me, which is fine because I think it has more to offer than its puzzle box aspect. But at the end of the day, the other parts are simply just mediocre for me. It uh, doesn't feel like a the puzzle box elements that we're talking about with the flashbacks or whatever they are. Um, they don't really feel like a mystery to be solved. They sort of feel like a to. To use a metaphor, they feel like a garnish on a, on the main dish. Like, they're just there. Yeah, Does- I would say they're a mystery to be solved, but they're definitely, I would think, peppered in to at least try to enhance a repeat viewing because, like, you see a lot of examples. Like, for example, and we're going to spoil the movie right now, but oh, yeah. the idea is that Jeremy Renner's character and Amy Adams' character settle down and have a child, and then they separate because she knows yeah. the timeline of the fact that the child's going to die. And he doesn't, she- and he can't right. learn it, which is... Completely contradicts the end of the film. Right. This and takes there place are references... in the future after the events of right. this film. Yeah. We're, but the way those scenes are sort of like intersected into the film, it it implies that it's meant to be flashback when really it's a flash forward. Well, I will admit, like twenty minutes into it, I never got the impression that they were supposed to, not supposed to be. I, I guess I would say I never got the impression that they would pass as flashbacks because, like, that's after, what they were attempting. I know that's what they were, t- and, and I, I and, totally and get I, that. I think it is very. It was successful for me because I feel like you can't watch the the beginning images of the film, which is what you're talking about, and not think they're flashbacks. And then get to in the film and not at least have that initial introduction into them. Like yeah. you, you can think, oh, obviously they actually happen in the future. But your brain, seeing it the first time, is immediately going to put that in the flashback camp. For so. sure, we're no, already no, no, primed no. for that with the way that flashbacks or or yeah, which is what the sequential film, cutaways are in- integrated into. Which, which is something this yeah. film uses to its benefit. Yeah. yeah, no, no, I'm I'm not necessarily trying to say that the film isn't going for that because it clearly is, and yeah. I would say in general it succeeds at you know pacing that out and whatnot. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, what I liked about this film got overshadowed by what this film wanted to be about, which is that the first 40 minutes or so, I was really, really loving this movie. I thought... The, the, the scene when, and I know it's just a really simple thing, but the scene when they uh, walk from the um, scaffolding onto the uh, 
walkway into view. Yeah. Abbott and Costello for the first yeah. time. That was cutesy, wasn't yeah. it? Uh, but uh, just the visual of them walking away and looking down, and you can see it in the background, was just awesome. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree with that. And when this movie uh, introduced itself as a uh, dissection of language and the way that the you know, that brings together or pulls apart cultures and whatnot. Um, I, I was really on board, but because that had to be kind of set to the side uh, for this more metaphysical plot line, which is something I normally like more than what that initial premise was, uh, but because that got shortchanged by it, uh, whoa, because I got shortchanged by it, I uh, really... <laughs> we are close to Thanksgiving, so I, I just right. made the uh, the John Candy drinking symbol from planes, trains, and automobiles. How about those bears? <laughs> uh, no, but because that part of the movie got shortchanged, I was just not kind of on board from that moment on. It's I something you. where I admire every aspect. I, I, I like the acting, and I did like the filmmaking in general. The cinematography was good, but I will say that probably the standout part of this movie was the score, which you had mentioned earlier. I yeah. thought that was the one part where I was like, I have not heard this before, mm-hmm. and, and, I, and I was so appreciative of that part of it. So it's a movie I ultimately recommend, but I don't think it's quite successful in its goals. I will say something else, too, uh, definitely in positive for this, is uh, a film trying to create a completely original uh, aspect, which is the language and the way that we use language from the alien beings. I mean, even if it's not necessarily something that hasn't been tried before, but definitely something that it really just grasped with the idea that it was trying to go with. I thought this film did a great job with that, even, even if uh, it is kind of silly that she's able to put all of this together quite easily uh, in those final end scenes. And she just has a very simple conversation with uh, one of the living uh, aliens from their one of 12 ships. Yeah. Uh, it's still high marks for that because it's trying something that is uh, usually not tried in this landscape of filmmaking. I only learned this uh, after the fact that it was actually based off a short story. And then I found out who the actual author was like, Oh, Ted Chiang is like, he's like one of the most prolific, like science fiction source, short story writers of his time. Has he written anything else that it's been adapted into a movie? I'm just curious. That I know of maybe like some independent, like short films, but not like a famous one. No, he's not like uh, what's his name? Uh, Isaac Asimov. No, I was going to say that. Do sheep's dream of? Oh, Philip K. Dick. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's not, not like that. Where almost everything he's done has been. Adapted. Yeah, Philip K. Dick is is sort yeah. of the one of the hidden, not so hidden architects of science fiction cinema. But Ted Chiang is like, it's it's a pleasure to read him. He's so cerebral. He's so weird. He's so he he's so him himself. Like he, there's always a Ch- Ted Chiang. He's like, so Raven. He's, he's so him. Um, and I I would love to see more uh, stories in the vein of his. I, I, I would love to see more films in the in the vein of his stories as as films. Yeah. What did Neil deGrasse Tyson think about this? Don't answer I don't give that. A fuck. Don't answer. Can that. I, don't I give say a though, fuck. You, you joke, but no, no, not about you Neil check deGrasse his Twitter. Tyson. <laughs> but I will say, we saw this movie on Thursday, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah so, last Thursday. Yeah. So uh, like five days ago, something like that. But it was two days after a very, I would say, probably historic uh, presidential election. Mm. Was it at all for you? Too maybe maybe not maybe I'm crazy but was it at all 
and weird to watch a movie like this in which it deals with things like relations between nations and whatnot. Yeah. And to not apply it felt completely unrealistic to be. I was gonna say like the sci fi aspect of it started to get like the oh, the oh. fringes just grew. Although it really yeah. was something when you have a immediate disagreement and then you just see all the televisions slowly turning <laughs> off. I was like, Wow, this feels about right. Yeah, yeah. This, this feels about right. Uh, I love the cutaway with the, the shock jock who is just like what is the government doing? They don't even have guns. Like, oh, oh that was. We're gonna have to get to that because yeah. that is definitely something we'll have to talk yeah. about. Is that that scene? Because that was. Yeah. Let's get to it. You want to talk about it right yeah, now? Yeah, let's okay. talk about it right now. Okay, very good. I'm glad we're we're talking about it. Good. Uh, that was a scene that fell completely out of place to me. Uh, and even if they wanted to include those characters, the idea that they are fighting for their freedom and pulling out their shotguns to shoot everybody, it felt like, oh, uh, people remember that movie Sicario I just did, so let me introduce something from that <laughs> film into this. Uh, I'm, was- I'm with you and Miss Sunset. I thought it was silly. And, um, like, this is not Gone Girl, which is part of a movie like Gone Girl. Even though, like, if you take a movie, and I know this sounds weird that I'm comparing it to a movie that may seem like it has nothing to do with this. But if you take a movie like Gone Girl, where you have a thriller narrative at its center, so to speak, but half of that movie is a satire and, and, and on how the media reacts to certain events or whatever, this movie has no real satire in it whatsoever. Other than that radio show. About Other than that moment when that just pe- happens. Pe- pe- well, in the, that you happened. Have, you have the, yeah. the, the radio show about not people not having guns to shoot yeah. the aliens, and then you have the very abrupt, uh, we need to take our country back, so we need to shoot all the other scientists who are yeah. coming up. That felt I'll, so out of left field to me. I'll say one thing. Uh, the shock jock in the film... Uh, he was uh, really tame compared to uh, <laughs> compared to our universe. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that, that for me felt like almost like the Roland Emmerich effect, where oh, I, okay. well, like where no, like no, I'm, I'm agree with you. Yeah, like where a filmmaker had to like, well, we got to address like how every faction of like whether it be media yeah, or government, you, you, you or just whatever. made the military look like they just. Yeah, they they don't have people who have a brain. Where Roland Emmerich does right, and and at least for Roland Emmerich's credit, who makes decidedly, in my opinion, or I should say, distinctly worse films than (laughs) Denis Villeneuve, but at least he's consistent with that idea, and he's like, we're gonna check in with radio and the White House and whatever. Um, But yeah, no, in general, I thought that was out of place as well. Yeah. Uh, the, the the thing I wanted to definitely mention, so I'm going to force it into the conversation right now. Force it. That's right. Was the very interesting taking uh, the idea of taking from future events to add to present uh, decisions, which yeah. completely disrupts the idea of the space-time continuum that Back to the Future gave to us. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I want to know, A, your feelings on it, and B, did you feel like... It was a good part of the film. I enjoyed it because pure, purely because it, it reminded me of Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse Five, like with the whole um, that like there's Billy Pilgrim who becomes unstuck in time. He gets abducted by these aliens called the Trophmadorians who see time not as a linear progression of one moment to the next, but rather as a entire like enveloping landscape for which they can see both the beginning, the middle and the end simultaneously. And so that's kind of like how I saw these visitors sort of in the vein of that. And 
the way that they sort of communicated about time reminded but, me of that. That was cool. But what about um, and and the the one that's the easy one to come to mind is the conversation that uh, Amy Adams' character has with the president or general from, from China from China yeah. to find out the name of well, of and, and then using that in her what, current state. Yeah, what, it, which I actually thought was one of the better parts of the film. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I'm sure there were a lot of people out there who thought that was horrible. I don't, I don't know, but I would find it horrible. But the problem with that culmination mm-hmm. to that arc is that throughout the entire movie, we're treated to this idea that many nations are recipients of these pods that the aliens, you know, shoot down, yeah. and they're all working on it and whatnot. And then it's, it's, it's China that's the big bad. Like, they're the ones who keep saying, like, oh, we're not going to uh, work with them. We're now we're going to whatever. So the idea... China. <laughs> yeah. China. So the idea that, like, because of this temporal interference, they just changed their mind just felt really weak to me because it's like, it's, it's a day's next machina that was never truly set up in my opinion, even though I, it's not so much that I don't understand the logic behind it because the movie is suggesting the idea of, you know, the interference of future events and past and and, whatnot, but it it just felt really weak. It goes to the idea though, of if somebody tells you something uh, that you've never told anybody, this idea is used in, uh, it's one of the X-Men movies. Is it days of future past when Logan talks to professor X the younger version mm-hmm. and explains yeah. to him things that he has not told yep. anybody yet yeah. that he has to ultimately believe him then because yep. how else could you explain this? So it, right. that's why I, I actually too. quite enjoyed that part of the, well, that aspect of the film. But the problem yeah. is, is that when you go with the idea that this is just something that Amy Adams becomes like night and day from where she was to then being enlightened to this, you then only have the final like 14 minutes of the film to use this one of the most interesting yeah. parts of the film. So, I don't well, know. and that's the thing is that this conversation is, I think, interesting, and I would totally like dive into it. But it also negates the fact that for the first hour and 20 minutes, we're watching a completely different film, right. and in, not right. in a way where it's like your mind is blown when you when you get to that point and you can start to piece all the puzzles together. But a genuinely different film, a film about uh, language and other more, I would say, hard uh, sci-fi thing. Not hard sci-fi, but actual practical, tangible right. yeah. things. Uh, and so, for for the movie to kind of wipe that slate clean in service of a more fantastical ending uh it just didn't really sit right with me hmm. yeah i um I, I mean i liked it though no yeah. i, mean, I just want to say. yeah there's a lot of things to debate about it which yeah. I, I guess is at least there even if you can't necessarily think on them and it's not something that just pops in your head immediately the next day but i feel like the more you talk about it at least for me so far the more i can remember liking about the films so i mean I alex know. you're talking about fucking up the the space-time continuum I, I think that the the future jumps for her for amy adams character maybe they were at most maybe five ten years like no they were because her her, her... we don't really know and i that, still like, that, don't that, that, to this day, understand 
the idea behind her seeing the books of the future. No, see here, here I I still I, don't get that. I'm gonna have to, ever. I either better, you explain I, it or I'll explain it. I, I feel like that's a not necessarily a debatable because I mean it, it, it's just kind of a weird. Th- no, it's a weird seemingly throwaway scene. I don't think but I'm, I'm crazy in suggesting that at least the way it's edited and the way it's portrayed. Produ- I don't know portrayed. Yes. That it's not a clear like this is a future scene. It's not. Okay. It's, it's not clear. So I'm not crazy, right? It's it's either no. okay. it's either horribly edited or yeah. wonderfully edited, and I don't know what the answer right. is. And, because, I, and I could totally understand anyone subscribing to either yeah, one of those. But when I see it, I just like what the I, fuck. Yeah, I, I didn't per- have any trouble reading it, but I can understand if you didn't. I personally think that that scene is showing her post her child's death. Deciding that me keeping this all to myself, as I assume she has for this entire time, is not benefiting anybody other than myself. As I had I'm all these this books burden. published, so now I'll share them with the world. Well, no. It, it, yeah, I guess that's a read of it. But yeah, anyway. she's trying to spread the knowledge of this and not just hold it to herself. So I, that, I, that's no, what I'm I read from you, that, so. No, no, I'm with you on that. I'm only talking about the physicality of her opening this box and seeing these books that she's not yet written. Because that's the thing that I don't get. The way it's edited in the movie. What? You think that she hadn't written those books? No, no. She wrote that book. She will that, that, write that, that, that book. A, that's a vision yeah. into the future, that, not necessarily. That's what I don't understand where vision come into place because vision didn't really happen in these movies yeah. other than like when she's sleeping or when it was like clear But she's vision. able to – She's able to see it after she's enlightened. She into becomes more. This. So it does take place after the one scene in which she's given that gift, so to speak. Yes. Okay. Yes. I mean, yes. if that's the case, then that I guess that does make narrative sense. The, I think it's silly and hokey. Yeah, it's fine. But it's, uh, that does make sense. We are clear that the scene of her opening the book, like like the way that it's edited, is it shows a future event where she will have written this book and that she's just getting the offer proofs back from this book. I will say, That's why she's you opening say the box. we are clear, and yet I would say that the movie's not as tightly edited to suggest but, that upon a like immediate viewing. Because I don't necessarily... I'm saying as someone who's seen I, yeah, a lot yeah. of hard sci-fi movies, yeah. I watched that scene and just kind of said, what? But I don't yeah. necessarily think what Nick is saying is a bad thing in, in the yeah. film's vein, because I do think that the film does whether it be really smart and it's trying to do this or it just be dumb luck like we don't necessarily know where her opening the books and and that falls into the grand scheme timeline like is that after all this is that before and she's just telling jeremy renner to go fuck himself like i, I don't because know that's why I, it's I, around I the same era of the time when she's giving the presentation no, no, and then no. everybody else knows it yeah. Right, no, but what I'm saying is, is, is that after her child's death? Is it before? Like, it, it, like there's no way to definitely know when that right. event happens I, in the whole timeline. I would so. guess it is after her. And so would I. Death. Yeah. But right. we we don't necessarily know that. For there's sure. yeah, there's right. nothing so. explicit. Yeah, and, and I would Other say than the dedication. that yeah. my reaction to that, uh, to, to that scene is is why I posed the question after we had all three walked out of the theater, which was, so why did she see the the logo? Uh, of the alien's logo on her on a book that hasn't been published yet because I got genuinely confused in the way that that was depicted because she she editing. hasn't published it yet right and I get that now and it's yeah. not so much that I don't like I I don't disagree with you guys anymore mm-hmm. but I think there was a better way to convey that even in an ambiguous nature it the, it's the problem of something that I already hit on a little bit I I think and so had you Nick but it's the problem of trying to jam in a completely different story into a climax of the film 
and you have so many images and different types of outcomes thrown at you at one time where you had so much time earlier on spent on watching her breathing when you could have dedicated more time to, to this and they decided to just jam it all in the end. I have a really random thing to bring up right now. Yeah. Now that you just brought up her breathing. Um, I don't think Denis Veneuve, uh, is misogynistic. I I'm saying that right now. I don't think he is. However, his last two movies have been weirdly critical of a female's role in a man's world. Yeah. Uh, it, to the point where I feel like Sicario, one could argue that that was the point of Sicario. And even if I don't quite get value out of that movie in that vein, I can understand that point of view, so to speak. But now we're also treated... At, at, I know it's based on a short story, but he he clearly took liberties with the short story, so he could have did whatever he wanted. And the idea that only A.B. Adams' character is, like, visibly shaken and almost, like, especially toward the beginning of the movie, and, like, yeah. is the person who's overwhelmed. Doesn't Jeremy but... Renner throw up in a bucket of garbage? He does, but I he mean... does it, like, afterward. Like, yeah. it's just a weirdly paced... I, all I'm saying okay. is, no, as, I'm, as I'm someone not, who... I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you. No, no, right. And I'm not saying... That's what I'm trying to say, is that I don't... I, I'm not going to take a stance on this, but this is two movies in a row where I'm trying to figure out how Denis Villeneuve sees his female protagonist because I keep walking away with thinking, well, couldn't someone see this and see that maybe, like, the idea that Amy Adams is, like, barely breathe and yet all the men in the in that field... I don't know. It's two movies, two movies in a row that centers around female professionals in a work environment in which men are, I wouldn't say better at their jobs, but are more composed and more... Uh, I, I don't know, prone to uh, advance, so to speak. Now, and, 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 and the, the only way that this movie rectifies that is yeah. by giving her a magical gift. <laughs> well, but in the same in the I, in the same yeah. vein, though, this, this is two straight films with a female protagonist and a female protagonist that takes a different approach than all of the males and ends yeah. up being the one who has the best outlook probably no, out of everybody. So eh. for sure. And that's why I'm not necessarily taking a stance. Yeah. But for some weird reason, I keep coming away from his movies, okay. thinking about it more than I would. And if that's his intention, then great, because yeah. I, I, I think that should be whatever. Yeah. But I, I'm also, uh, because if that is intention, then I'm also questioning it, which yeah. is like, what is the value of this? And whatnot. Hey, at least this didn't have Josh Brolin in sandals. So there's that, that is true. Mm. That is true. But yeah, yeah. Any final thoughts before we go to final thoughts? <laughs> no. no. No? Okay. Well, Toussaint started us off, so why don't you give your rating for Arrival? Um, I really did enjoy this film. I'll have to agree with my, my two hosts that I don't think this is a perfect film. I think that uh, for what one viewer could see a lot of depth to it, a, another viewer could equally see it to be vacuous, and I don't think that either one of those is, is incorrect. Um, I got a lot out of it. I'm, I'm not sure if this is going to it, – it's nowhere going to sit anywhere near the uh, the top of my, my list this year. It, it was a very um, interesting uh, exploration of a topic in science fiction that I, I do enjoy. Um, so that's why I'm going to give it a three on – Three and a half out of five. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a pretty solid film. I would, I would definitely recommend it. 
I'm going to go along with Tucson and his rating and uh, also give this three and a half out of five, the same rating I gave Sicario. Uh, I think Denny Villeneuve has a lot more to offer than he does from this film. Uh, I haven't seen Enemy, but I've heard mostly good things about it. I love I, it. I, I don't know if I would love it. Uh, but I know Nick has seen it. I think it. you would at least be engaged with it. Yeah. Like you would at least like watching it. And Prisoners uh, was one of my top three favorite films from the year I saw it, So, which is 2013, I think. Yep. So uh, he does good work, and uh, I think he's got potential to do even better work than he does here. Um, but at the same time, this has been kind of a mediocre year at the cinema, especially for me, and obviously just in general, most people oh, yeah, yeah. have been slightly disappointed, if not majorly disappointed, by this year's offerings. Yeah, at, at I've been a, I've been a little disappointed with this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is a film that probably worry, might. Paul Verhoeven will solve that. <laughs> uh, you know, we'll see. Which Saved by the Bell stars in this one? None of them. <laughs> So, uh, this film arrival, though, I did felt Screech. feel was, oh man, <laughs> Dustin Diamond, man, he's had a rough go of it. Dustin, I was trying to figure out what his name was, I could not, anyway. Uh, Screech is fine. What a fucking horrible name. Uh, Dustin Diamond. Screech! He's, his, anyway. he's, things are going worse for him than Michael Richards, so Ooh. that is not a good line to be below, so there you no, go. No, not. <laughs> At least Michael Richards has royalties from Seinfeld. <laughs> Continue. Yeah, uh, I've said what I I, I felt about Arrival uh, pretty well, I think. That, but I do think this is a passable science fiction film that does struggle to find a happy home between mainstream and hardcore science fiction film viewing. That being said, uh, this is a really good film that is going to be higher on my list than it probably should have been because of the way this year has gone. So... Uh, three out of five, three and a half out of five for me for Arrival. Uh, is it a a pretty good film that I'm sure lots of people are going to quite enjoy? Yeah, I have to echo those sentiments in general, which is that I recommend this movie. I this is the kind of movie that is essentially not something that does much for me, and yet if someone said this was their favorite movie of all time, I wouldn't think they were crazy. Like yeah. it, it, it's it, it's very competent at what it's doing. You can appreciate and, the value even if you don't yeah. take from it. And uh, or I guess more realistically, if they said it was their favorite movie of the year, so to speak, yeah, like, that 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 would that would make sense to me because. It is doing something that is, I would say, at least filling a void in mainstream cinema that I, I really appreciate. And I totally uh, endear, myself, uh, endear myself to any filmmaker that tries to tackle these kind of heavy sci-fi topics in a mainstream uh, lens because... It's definitely a challenge. It's, for it's sure. a challenge, but I always appreciate it, even if yeah. I don't think it's successful because of the fact that like it's it's so rare that we get these kind of uh, sci-fi ideas with this much money to, to be thrown at it. I mean, that's just kind of fun in general like with Christopher Nolan's Interstellar and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, even though I don't think it completely works and I think ultimately it derails itself, I, I, w- I would watch it again. I just compared to what I said earlier, I just don't have a desire to. So I give it three out of five. I think every part of this movie, from the acting to the cinematography, is very well done. Uh, I just wish it was a little more uh, coherent in its uh, <laughs> coherent in its uh, <laughs> shall we say storytelling to truly tie itself together. Because this is a movie that definitely, by the end of it, tries to suggest that this was a 
uh, like a, a master plan of storytelling and that this was all connected and I, I I'm very disconnected from it. So I would say it's a, I was very interested in the first hour when it had to do with some more straightforward topics, but when it tackled the quantum physics aspect of the, uh, the narrative, I, I, I was less interested, which is crazy because that's a genre sci-fi, a subgenre, I would say that I'm just very fascinated by. So three out of five stars for me. Good stuff. Pretty high recommendations for Arrival. Yeah. Uh, if you have any thoughts on Arrival or, uh, like we talked about earlier, any ideas on what you would like to see us talk about our year in review uh, coming up in early 2017, feel free to send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. Uh, on our next episode, which is episode 90, uh, we're going to be talking about this new weird film that somewhat fits into the Harry Potter universe. I know that it has involvement with it, but it's gonna be interesting to see it to see how much involvement it has and what liberties it takes with the Harry Potter universe. And that is the film Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, starring everyone's favorite actor, Eddie Redmayne. Oh, boy. <laughs> Fuck him. Yeah. Yeah, he's an asshole. Uh, this film is uh, directed by David Yates, who uh-huh. did the last. Forgot about that. Four. Harry I was gonna Potter say he's, he's basically the the Harry Potter guy at this yeah. point. Yeah, uh, and definitely ushered in a very specific feel to the end of the Harry Potter, where early like on, where you didn't have natural lighting and well, just, but. Uh, early on, you had a lot of different directors with very different viewpoints, whether it be uh, Chris Columbus. and then you the held, first two. Yes, right? yeah. and then it was followed by Alfonso Carong. It's fantastic. Yeah, but you have uh, different viewpoints by a mile yep. taking control of your films, uh, and he brought more clarity to what the films were going to be cohesion streamlining yeah. of yeah. it. Uh, and he's pretty much signed up for this whole thing, whatever it is. So uh, we'll see what the first one is. Uh, and this film, fantastic piece and where to find, if them. we don't figure out where to find them and we have to watch the next four just to figure that out, I'm going to be really pissed off. Just gonna be I like just want to dragon balling with wizards. I just want to know what happens with, uh, Catherine Depp? Watterson. No, Catherine Watterson, because, she looks miserable in all the photos <laughs> surrounding this film, and I don't know if she's just not happy or yeah, that's she's her character putting on a thing. No, like I'm talking about like just in real life. Method like, acting. All the f- I don't know. If that, I don't think so. <laughs> she looks like she just wants to go hang out with Doc from uh, from Inherent Vice. From Inherent Vice. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see what this film is, and we'll tell you about it on our next episode. You can find all of our episodes on FilmTankShow.com, and you can find our episodes also on iTunes and Stitcher as well at FilmTankShow. And you can find us occasionally on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at FilmTankShow. So from Nick Cheney to Sun Egan, myself, Alex Diekman, as always, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Film Tank, and we'll catch up with you next time. Thank <laughs> you.